You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, well, I love you and appreciate you. Let's get into the Word this morning. If you came in and didn't receive a handout and you want to get one, just hold your hand up high and we'll get one to you. We got some extras in the back if you need a pen. Want to jot some notes down, we'll get that to you. But uh, we're in a series, this is week number two in a series called Be Transformed. Turn to somebody close by and tell them, I need you to be transformed. Okay, say this to them. Say, God loves you too much to leave you like you are. (laughs) So how many of you are a work in progress? Okay, anybody in here, you've arrived? Okay, all right. Everybody but me, praise the Lord. I have arrived, so anyway, I'll pray for all of y'all. No, I'm just totally kidding. I am nowhere near arrived. I'm in a work in progress just like each and every one of you. So let's look at our foundation scripture found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it says this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person How? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So change for us, life change for us is going to take place as we change the way we think. Now, I've said this before in in years past, but the, the word transform there in this verse literally is the Greek word metamorpho, where we get metamorphosis from. And if those of you remember back in your biology days, metamorphosis is what happens, you know, about this time of year when all the caterpillars, uh, you know, weave those cocoons. They go in there for a period of time, and then they totally transform or metamorphosize into a butterfly. They become something totally different than they were when they started. And it's just a miracle of nature that that happens and how you can look at something like that and not say there's a God, I don't, I don't understand that. But anyway, the same principle is true for you and me. So what God desires to do is for us to metamorphosize into the people that he has called us to be. And so the way that that is going to happen is not by changing a bunch of external stuff, although there's nothing wrong with that, but don't think that that's going to affect you inward insides. The way God works is from the inside out. And so the way that he's going to cause us to change is by, as this verse says, by changing the way that you think. And I love the way that this uh, translation articulates it when it says, let God transform you into a new person. You know, we were uh, commenting uh, with some family members earlier and, and noting how one particular person in that family has been totally changed by the power of God, by the Word of God over the last few years. They're not the same person 
that they were. Well, you don't do that on your own. You don't do that of your own strength and ability. That's the power of God at work on the inside of each and every one of us. But, but that change is going to take place in how we think. So let me touch on a couple of points that we, that we covered last week, just so we're kind of caught up. And that, let's look at this one, the first one. The Bible teaches us, based on this verse, that the way we change is by an inward transformation, and this happens as we change the way that we think. Now, we spent some time last week talking about why is God so intentional about helping us change the way we think? Well, you got to go back to the Old Testament, and let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19. Again, reading from the New Living Translation, God told the children of Israel, he said this, today... I have given you the choice. Say choice. So I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life. You know, God wants us to choose life. He wants us to choose blessing. And so that you and your descendants might live so the whole point of this particular verse is this, that the choice of life or death, blessing or cursing, belongs to you and me. Sometimes, uh, you know, even Christians are, have the misbelief that, well, you know, if it's God will, God's will, it's just going to happen. And that's not true. You have to make choices that are going to align your life with the will, plan, and purpose of God for you to be able to experience life and blessing. So God is interested in the way that we think and helping us to become new people because that is what affects the decisions that we make. That's what affects the choices that we make. And so we talked about this particular, and this is a fact, the direction and quality of our lives that we have today is a result of the choices that we have made yesterday. So where you are today is a result of the decisions that you made yesterday. You know, a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of blame passing around going on, particularly in our culture today. It's not my fault, it's their fault. I am the way that I am because of what they did. No, you are the way you are today, especially if you've grown. Anybody in here grown? Kathy, are you grown? Okay. If you are grown, then you, where you are today is a result of the decisions that you made yesterday or in your past. Okay? So, you know, it's just part of the responsibility that we have to take. And, you know, we have to, we have to learn to accept that responsibility. But here's the good news. If you don't like where you're headed, make different choices. I'm going to say that again because that was good and I only got one little weak amen. And that is this, if you don't like the quality of your life today, if you don't like where you are today, then make some different choices and decisions for your life. And God is, is the one that is wanting to help shape those decisions. So we said this last week, whatever or whoever is influencing our lives the most is what helps shape the decisions that we make on a regular basis. I want to ask you a question. Who are you listening to? Who's got input into your life? Does God have input into your life? Does his spirit have input into your life? 
Or are you just listening to what everybody else says and telling you that's the direction that your life needs to go? No, we want to be attuned to what God is saying and paying attention to him. We spent some time looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Very familiar scripture, but again, just so we can emphasize it. But Paul wrote and he said this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Sanctify means to set apart, to clean up in other words, okay? Don't, don't confuse sanctification with justification, Okay, let me give you a little theology lesson here. Justification is what you have experienced by Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. In other words, you've been declared justified. You're no longer a criminal in God's mind through what Jesus did. He has justified us. So justification is a one-time work that is received when you're born again. But sanctification... You know, we used to hear the old-timers say, you know, I'm born again, Holy Ghost-filled, sanctified. No, you're not. You're on your way to sanctification, but you're not totally sanctified yet, okay? Sanctification is the process that God is at work doing in our lives to cause us to become more like him, okay? So, again, this verse says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we broke this down, and again, I know I've covered this before, but it, it's good to hear it again. So let's look at this. Our spirit, you're a three-part being, our spirit is the part of us that gets born again. Okay, so if you, and I can say this, if, you, if your hair was thinning before you got born again, your hair is still thinning after you got born again, okay? That was just a joke. I mean, y'all can loosen up just a little bit, all right? But your spirit is what is born again, not your soul or your body, all right? So our spirit is the part of us that's born again, and your spirit is the part of you that makes contact with God. When God deals with you, he's dealing with you in your spirit, all right? And then the soul of, of your being, your, your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Again, I like to say it this way, your soul is made up of your thinker, your feeler, and your chooser. That's your soul, okay? And then lastly, our body is what enables us to be able to move and function here on the earth. So if you lose your body, if your body ceases to function, your spirit and soul are what go to heaven, okay, if Jesus is the Lord of your life. Now, I want to say this to you. Your soul, not your spirit, not your body, is the center. <coughs> Excuse me. Your soul is the center of your decision-making process. That's where your decisions are made is in your soul, okay? Now, we talked about, again, the soul being made up of the mind, the will, and the emotions. I, and as I was studying and getting ready for today's sermon, I, I just felt prompted in my heart to talk to you just for a couple of moments about your will, and I want to say this to you. I didn't include any of these notes in your, in your handout. But listen, your will 
is much more powerful than you think it is. You know, I love to uh, I watch videos and I listen to podcasts uh, of guys like Navy SEALs. I love listening to those guys talk. Now, you have to filter a lot of it because it's colorful, if you know what I mean, okay? They like to use lots of colorful adjectives and four-letter words and things like that. But if you can filter through all of that, there's something that they possess in any of the special forces guys, whether they're SEALs or Rangers or whatever they might be or Green Berets, uh, you know, whatever branch that they come from, um, there is something that they tap into in, in, in referring to the human will. You know, I was listening to one gentleman, uh, you might have heard of him, his name is David Goggins. And David was in SEAL Team 3, and a great guy, retired. Let me tell you just a, just a brief little glimpse of his story. David was in the Air Force and got out of the Air Force, and right at about the time 9-11 happened, of course, he felt like he wanted to uh, make a difference after those attacks happened. And so he, he went back to the recruiter, except this time he went to the naval recruiter, and he told him, he said, uh, I, I want to be part of the SEAL teams. I want to be part of that, that special forces group. And at the time, he weighed close to 300 pounds. And the recruiter told him, said, sir, or, you know, listen, you're not going to make it. You, you weigh too much. And so David, in three or four months, I forget it was, just a very short period of time, lost over 100 pounds he was so determined that he wanted to be a part of the SEALs that he lost that weight. And then he went into BUDS training and, and went through the SEAL training that they go through. How many of you have ever heard the SEALs talk about Hell Week? Yeah. Okay. Well, if, you're, you know, if you don't know what that is, it's a particular week in their training that comes to the close, close to the end of their training where they basically put them in the worst possible conditions that a human being can experience. And really what they're doing in SEAL training is they're breaking you down so they can rebuild you. They're breaking you down. They're breaking your will down so that your will can be rebuilt and retrained in order to be uh, able to accomplish what they want you to accomplish. Well, David... Once he went, got into that point, because of injury, he failed hell week twice. But he didn't give up. Now, I can't imagine going through hell week once. He went through it three times and passed on the third time. And uh, so I, I have studied a little bit of his life. And, and again, to hear him talk, he's, he's interviewed very often and uh, does motivational speaking and so forth. You can see him on YouTube. Uh, but just the sheer willpower that he has tapped into in order to accomplish it. And since he's retired from the SEALs, he's become an avid runner and has run multiple marathons. He'll just wake up one day and decide he wants to go run 40 miles, and he'll do it. And because he has tapped into that part of himself, which we all possess, by the way, called the human will, and, and has pushed himself to the point where he ha has done some extraordinary things. Now, the reason I say this is 
I was listening to him, and I've listened to others talk, and I thought, man, if that's what a human being, a person can do in and of their own strength, what could a born-again, spirit-filled believer accomplish that has not only the power of their will, but the power of the Holy Ghost on the inside of them to help them accomplish some things? You know, I, 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 I hear those guys' stories, and you know, my response is, I'm just a wimp. I mean, I'm being honest. I don't know that I could do what they have done. And so in, in, in thinking about this and as in studying and preparing it, you know, I thought about the Apostle Paul. You know, if you've ever studied Paul's life, you know, after he got saved and received Christ on the road to Damascus, you know, his life was not the easiest of lives. You know, after he began preaching the gospel, there are stories in the book of Acts, one such story where uh, he was stoned literally to death. And they raised him from the dead and he went and preached in another city. Now, most of us, you know what our response to that would be? We'd go home with some hurt feelings. I thought they would like me. I can't believe they didn't appreciate my ministry. I just, all I'm doing is just trying to spread love and peace and Jesus. But no, Paul gets right up, goes right back into the heat of the battle to preach again. I, you know, I've heard the testimony where Paul floated around in the Mediterranean for a day and a night because the ship he was on got shipwrecked, waiting for rescue, and then didn't quit. Here's my point. How often, and I'm just challenging you as I'm challenging myself, but how often do we quit when we're this close to our victory? Because we don't understand what the, the willpower that we possess just as people, but then also the power of God on the inside of us that God has made available to us. You know, there's a, a message, Joel Osteen's dad, uh, John Osteen, great man of God, went home to be with the Lord in 1999. But he has a message, and you can find this message on YouTube, and I love it. It's called, How Big Is Your Want To? And I think a lot of us Christians, our want to is just not big enough. Okay? And, and, and you know, I'm not trying to harp on anything, but there are things that we could do that we don't do because our want to is just not big enough. I'm going to say that again because it kind of rhymed and it was cute. I thought it was. Okay? There's things we could do that we don't do because our want to is not big enough. Okay? I'm going to say it. Well, yes, I will. Thank you very much. All right? There's things that we could do. I'm, let me change it this way. There's things we could experience that we don't experience because our want to is not big enough. I think there are times when we throw in the towel too early and we give up, we quit. And so what I just felt prompted as I was getting this message together, this isn't the, the whole thrust of my message, but I really want to challenge each and every one of us to realize and to ask yourself the question, how 
bad do I want to be free? How bad do I want to be healed? How bad do I want to be blessed and prosperous as God get, makes it available? How bad do we want it? Because I promise you, if you want it bad enough, you'll go after it. And you won't quit until you get it. Well, pastor, I confessed those healing scriptures for three days and nothing happened. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, I can tell this has excited you and just thrilled you to no end. This is for our podcast crowd. crowd. That's, we'll just say that, okay? All right. Let's say one more thing, and then we'll get into what we have to talk about for this week, and that is this. Our decision-making process can be basically summed up this way. I think, I feel, and therefore I choose. You know, I started to say this last week, and I didn't, but have you ever heard somebody say, I just feel very strongly like I ought to whatever it is. Well, that's really what God does. As he moves in our heart, he created us with emotions in order to give us the drive to follow through with our decisions. So I think, I feel, and therefore I choose. Okay? Now, let's get into this. If transformation in our life takes place as we renew our mind or we change the way that we think over this week and then on our online service next Sunday, I'm going to be very, very practical. Everybody say practical, okay? So these are going to be things that you can easily apply to your life. So I want to begin. So if I want to make better choices for my life that are in line with God's will and plan for my life, then I must renew my mind. I must change my thinking. So how do I do that? Well, here's the first thing you need to understand and that is this, write this down, renewing does not mean learning. Renewing does not mean learning. Now, there's nothing wrong with learning. There is nothing wrong with learning the Bible. There's nothing wrong with memorizing scriptures. There's nothing wrong with spending time Reading the Bible, I'll, I'll tell you to do that all day long, but you must understand that renewing your mind, changing your thinking is not learning. Learning is the first step in the process, but changing your thinking comes about when you begin to dwell on that which you have learned. Okay? Because if you're not careful, if we're not mindful and intentional, we'll just think learning, 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 gathering all the knowledge. See, there are people who know the Bible but are not even born again. There are people probably that can quote more scriptures than I can that don't know Jesus personally. So learning the Bible is not the answer. It's making what you learn become a part of who you are. That's what makes the difference. So renewing does not mean learning. Now, how do I know that? Well, for one thing, we know that Paul wrote this to the Christians at the church at Rome, and, and so automatically they're born again. We know that. But I also know a little bit about church history and that the church in Rome 
The Christians in Rome were some of the most and best taught Christians in the early church. So they knew some things. But yet Paul told them, y'all need to change your thinking. Okay, so apparently knowledge and knowing some biblical principles is not the same thing as renewing your mind. It's part of it, but it's not its totality. Okay, so what do we do? How do we begin this process? We'll write this down. Renewing your mind, changing your thinking, same, same thing, begins with weaning your mind. Weaning your mind. What does that mean? Well, that means that there are certain thought patterns, there are certain ways that you think, and I think, that we're going to have to wean our minds from thinking that way. Are you listening to me? Okay. So let's look at a scripture in the, the 131st Psalm and uh, verses 1 through 3. This is the entirety of this Psalm in the Amplified Bible. So David wrote and he said, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in matters too great or in things too wonderful for me. Here's, I'm going to summarize verse 1 for you. Lord, I stay in my lane. That's exactly what the psalmist is saying. Lord, I don't, I don't even, I'm not even going to venture out in stuff that is too big for me to even, that's above my pay grade. You ever heard that phrase before, okay? All right, so I stay in my lane, Lord. I'm, I'm sticking with what I know. Verse two, surely I have calmed and quieted my soul. Now, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language, it's similar to the Greek and that the phrase for soul means your psyche, your mind, your will, and your emotions. So the psalmist said, surely I have calmed and quieted my soul. Now, here's, uh, I want to just stop right here and I want to make a comment. If you are experiencing anxiety all the time, you're worried, you're anxious, you're fretful, that is not coming out of your spirit. It's not. And it's not necessarily coming out of your flesh. You might experience some results of that in your flesh. How many of you know stress can work on your flesh a little bit? Okay. All right. But it's not coming out of your spirit and it's affecting your flesh. So it comes out of the soulish part of you, your mind, your will, and your emotions. So the psalmist said, surely I have calmed and quieted, and I'm going to interject this here, my mind, my will, and my emotions. How? Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me ceased from fretting. Anybody in here you would like to experience some ceasing from fretting and worrying and anxiety, and those types of things, okay? And so, look at this verse again, verse 2. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me, ceased from fretting. And then he wraps up the psalm by saying this, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So that word fretting there, I've highlighted it for you on the screen. It means this, to feel or express worry. You worry is, a, is your, in your soul 
Worry is not of your spirit. Worry is in your soul. As I said, it can affect your flesh. But to fret means to express worry or to move in agitation. So, so the psalmist said, I've ceased from doing that. Well, how did I do that? Well, he uses the illustration of a baby being weaned from its mother in referring to the process of a nursing mother nursing a baby. Now, when a baby is new and, you know, brand new up until a certain age, and it varies, my understanding is, you know, from child to child, I guess, but, you know, if, if a mother is nursing that child, that child has a dependency on that mother. Would you agree with that? Okay. So that child is dependent on that mother to sustain him, to feed him, to provide comfort, to provide care, to provide peace, to provide all of those things. And so there will come a time in the growth and development of that child that will require that child to cease that dependency. Agreed? Okay. Okay. I'm not trying to be funny when I say this. I'm wanting to jar our thinking. If you see a 20-year-old child still nursing its mother, there's a problem. Okay? So what has happened is, I mean, if you do see that, it's weird, but that child has never ceased and broken that dependency, nor has the mother broken the dependency of that child. So there comes a process called the weaning process where a mother begins to separate from that child and stops the nursing, okay? Now, listen, I'm a guy, I'm a man, and I'm just describing to you which I, of something I have had no participation except for when I was a little baby, okay? So I'm just saying, but I can read the Bible and I can understand what he's trying to say. So as there comes a time where the growth and development of that child causes and requires a separation, a weaning to take place. Now, you, those of you who have been mothers and those of you who nursed your child, was there any resistance put forth when you started weaning your child? I would say the answer is yes. Why? Because you're trying to sever that dependency. Now, here's why the psalmist used this and, and applied that illustration to what they were talking about, what, what David was talking about in quieting his soul. There are things that your mind or your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions say and think that it's dependent on in order to live and be happy. and to be content and to be satisfied in life. There are things your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions believe that it is dependent on in order for you to be happy and satisfied and for life to be good. Okay? So, write this down, please. The weaning of the mind is, is the weaning from those dependencies that must be there for you to be happy. 
Okay? Now, I'm going to say that again. The weaning of your soul or your mind is the weaning from the separation from those dependencies that must be there for you to be happy or satisfied or experience contentment. Okay? Now, I need you to track with me. All right? Now, what I want to do is I'm going to give you six things today real quick that, will, that you need to wean your soul from. And if you don't, your soul is going to tell you, I have to have these things in order to be happy. Now, we don't, we don't think about our soul exerting that kind of influence in our lives, but it does. Okay? So are you still tracking with me? Yeah. All right. Now, I want to go back to, let me back up and look at that verse. Look at verse 3 again. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. In the Hebrew, that word hope should be trust. Okay? So I want you to just make a little side note. Be thinking about this as we talk about these six things. And that is this, that in order to wean your soul from these dependencies that it thinks it has to have, you're going to have to trust in God. Okay, so just keep that in the back of your mind as we get into this. All right, let's talk about these six things. Here we go. Number one, write this down, please. The first thing that you're going to have to wean your mind from is trying to figure everything out. The first thing you're going to have to wean your mind from is trying to figure everything out. Anybody in here like me that you, if you know there's something that, that, that has to be done or, or something that needs to be accomplished, you want the plan laid out from A to Z. And if that is there, then I am happy, I am content, and, and I will be able to accomplish it with bells on. Anybody else in here like that? Okay. Well, guess what? We are going to have to wean our souls from that dependency because I can assure you walking with God and trusting God is going to mean you are not going to know everything from A to Z. <laughs> as much as we like that and that makes us feel comfortable, there are going to be times when God says, I want you to do this. But why, God? Crickets. I just want you to do this. Lord, okay, I'll do that, but what's next? Crickets. Okay? See, God is wanting us to get to a place where we trust him so much that when he gives us just the little piece of information that we need to take the next step, we trust him. But see, our souls, if your soul is not weaned from that, you're going to try and want to fill in the blanks. And listen to me carefully. Listen, beloved, this is where Christians get off course, is we try and fill in the blanks. So if God wants me to take a step to go here, then my assumption is he wants me to do this and do this and then go over here and so forth. And that may be the farthest thing from what God wants me to do. But what we do, because our souls aren't weaned, we want to fill in the blanks, we want to help God out, and we want to know what is A to Z. 
All right. Is anybody here can identify with that besides me? See, when you try and satisfy the questions of why and when, you begin to get into what the Bible calls carnal reasoning. It's fleshly. It's not spiritual. Okay? And here's the result of carnal reasoning. 100% of the time, worry, fretting, anxiety, stress, and fear. Okay? So the first thing you're going to have to wean your mind from is trying to figure everything out, and you're just going to have to move over into trusting God. Let's look at uh, Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7 in the Passion Translation. We could read verse 5, pray, go home, and if we could do verse 5, we've accomplished a lot. Verse 5 says this, trust in the Lord completely. That's a mic drop moment if you've ever heard one. Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you and he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do and he will lead you wherever you go. Don't think for a moment that you know it all. What? What? For wisdom comes when you adore him with undivided devotion and avoid everything that's wrong. So like I said, we could read that right there, bow our heads and go to the house and if we could learn to do that right there, We've accomplished a lot. Can I get an amen? amen? Okay. So we must arrive to the place of maturity where the questions really don't matter anymore. Lord, if that's what you want me to do, okay, I'll do it. Okay, I did it. What's next? Crickets. Okay, I'll stay right here. Okay. Here's the second thing we got to wean our minds from. This is a big one. Selfish thinking. Now, I'm talking to the person next to you. I'm not talking to you when we cover this one, okay? Because I know you're not selfish. It's that person next to you that deals with selfishness, all right? So just occasionally maybe glance over there and say, he's talking to you, okay? All right? And number two, we must wean our minds from selfish thinking. See, we must be concerned with the needs of others above our own needs, Concentrating on you always causes agitation. Always, 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 always. How many of you know, you know, I'm right near, I turned 30 this August, and I'm, I'm sorry, Lord. No, I turned 60 in August, and, you know, and in my little bit of experience, I've learned life ain't always about you. Anybody else come to that revelation? All right. So what we have to do is we have to learn how to focus on the needs of others. And here's what the, the opposite or, or the answer to that is. Because if I focus on meeting your needs, God's going to take care of me. All right. Because here's what a little child, you know what a little child thinks about all the time? Me. Mine. I tell you what, next time you're around about a two or three-year-old and they're playing with a toy, go up there and snatch that toy from them and you'll find out exactly what they're thinking. That child is not going to stand up and say, oh, 
Well, praise the Lord. I just want to be a blessing. Here, take my toy and you play with it for a while. And I'll just go sit down over here and let you enjoy yourself. No, I promise you there will be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth because you took that child's toy. Because a child, an immature child, only thinks about me, mine. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, again, another mic drop moment in the New Living says this, don't be selfish. Don't try and impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Hallelujah. Here's number three. We must wean our minds, our souls from pity parties. Anybody in here, you like a good old pity party? I mean, you get the balloons, the hats out, the streamers, even those little things that go, you know, and unroll and all that. You get all that stuff out when it's time to have a pity party where you just feel like feeling sorry for yourself. And we like to waller around in that for a little bit, don't we? Thank you for that one honest person in the room. Okay, we all do. But see, pity parties, you know what causes pity parties? Pity parties happen when we allow our minds to imagine the worst case scenarios. And you know what their pity parties stem from? Why me, Lord? Why me? Why am I the only one that's going through this, Jesus? I look around and I don't see anybody else experiencing what I'm experiencing. Okay? Because we like feeling sorry for ourselves. And I, I'm totally serious when I say this. If you dwell in that long enough, it'll take you down the road of depression. Okay? And you don't want to go down that road. Look at, look at what Philippians 4.4. 4. Again, I, I just, I didn't realize it until just now, but I, I, I have a bunch of mic drop scriptures today. Here we go. Philippians 4.4. 4. Rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. Rejoice in the Lord when things are going swell. No, rejoice in the Lord always. And, and Paul thought, well, I'm just going to say it again. And again, I say rejoice. Now, it's tough, it's hard, but when you're feeling sorry for yourself, the best thing that you can do is start to praise and worship God. Lord, I might be in a tough situation, but I thank you that of all the tough situations I've been in, you've delivered me out of them all. And I just remember Lord, what you did for me a couple of months ago, how you provided for me, how you showed up, and I promise you that pity party mess can't stay around when that's going on. Here's number four. Again, I'm talking to the person next to you, all right? We must wean our minds from pride. Pride. Pride is sneaky. And I spent some time talking about pride earlier this year in a series, but, but, but you need to be mindful of it and, and let's just say this, okay? Just establish this right now. For anything good in my life, God gets all the credit. I don't take any of the credit for any good thing that I enjoy or I participate or I complete or I produce. 
No, it all comes because of the help of the Father. So God gets the glory all the time, and we've got to come to grips with the fact that we don't get any glory and be okay with that. Let me give you another mic drop scripture, okay? You ready for another one? Are you sure? John 15, 5 in the New English translation, Jesus said this, I am the vine. In other words, I'm the source. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit because apart from me, you can accomplish nothing. And as a pastor, I tell you what, the healthiest thing I can do is to remember that verse right there. Because as our church grows and we add people, I can't begin to smell myself and pat myself on the back and say, well, you know, it's because I'm a slick preacher that this is happening. No, without him, I am nothing. And without him, I can do nothing. Number five, we must wean our minds from critical thinking. Critical thinking. Now, I don't mean thinking specifically. I'm talking about being critical of other people. Okay? Let's look at another mic drop scripture. Okay? Luke 6, 37 in the Message Bible says this, don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Because you will reap what you sow. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can, I like the way the message says it, it can boomerang. You know what a boomerang is? You know, it's one of those things where you throw it in a circles and it goes way out there and it comes back, okay? Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people. You'll find life is a lot easier. Now, this verse is right before our pet verse Give, and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. And by the way, in the context of Luke chapter 6, money is not mentioned. Jesus was telling us, if you condemn people, guess what? It's going to come back to you. You judge people, it's going to come back to you. You're critical towards other people, it's going to come back to you. But... If you forgive, forgiveness will come back to you. If you give hope, life, peace, all those things, it will come back to you. I heard Brother Hagin say this a long time ago. You can never make your candle shine brighter by blowing someone else's out. You want me to say that again? You will never make your candle shine brighter by blowing someone else's candle out. Leave them alone, okay? So when you are receiving criticism, anybody in here ever received criticism before? Okay, there's a couple of us, all right. All right, so whenever you're receiving criticism, ask yourself this question. Are those people sowing criticism or am I reaping criticism from what I have sown in the past? Hallelujah. Okay, let's, let's cover this last one real quick. All right, and there are others. This is not an exhaustive list by any stretch. So here we go. Number six, we must wean our minds from a losing mentality. 
We got to wean our minds from a losing mentality. And this ties into what I was talking to you about as far as talking about the will. See, you've got you to eliminate a losing mentality in your life. Let me ask you a question. And you know, I know you've heard this before, but do you look at the glass and say it's half full or half empty? Okay. Or do you go out and, you know, it's like the story I heard where a mama told her two boys, said, hey, we're going to go to grandma's house today. If there's enough gas in the car, why don't you boys run out there and look and see how much gas is in the car. So they go out and they look at the gas gauge on the car and one of them comes running back in and says, no, nah, we can't go today, mama. We only have a half a tank of gas. The other boy comes running in and says, get your hat, mama, let's go. We got a half a tank of gas and we can make it. Which person are you? Are you? Do you have a losing mentality? See, what you need to understand is people become losers. God doesn't create losers. Okay? So, as I mentioned to you earlier, let's look at what the Apostle Paul said about this. And I'm going to read Romans 8, 35 through 37 in the Passion Translation, he said this, who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. You know, you could stop right there, and if we could only remember how much God loves us, it will get you through any situation, and you will come out on top. If you'll just remember that. But he goes on to say, troubles, pressures, and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions, deprivations, dangers, and death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hinder omnipotent love. Even though it is written, all day long we face death threats for your sake, God. We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. Yet... Even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all. <clears throat> Excuse me. For God has made us to be more than conquerors, and his demonstrated love is our glorious victory over everything. You don't have to have a losing mentality because you have a heavenly father that loves you unconditionally who is on your side, who is for you and not against you. And just knowing that little bit of truth, how can you lose? I want to read this one last scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Paul wrote this, and I'm reading from the message, and I just like the way it said it. It says, and I got it, thank God. In the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. You know, as I read this, I, I thought immediately about the end of World War II. And, and, and again, I'm a history buff, so, and, and there's been other occasions, but I just, what sticks out in my mind is after the end of World War II, particularly, you know, when the war in Europe ended and then when the war in Japan ended or the, the, the Asian, the Pacific side, 
all the parades, and you've seen it where they, where they march and they're coming down the roads in, in uh, New York City and there are ticker tapes and there's confetti and there's stuff flying from everywhere because everybody is celebrating that we won the fight. We won the war. And the Bible says that Jesus is desiring to take you as a winner and keep you on a perpetual parade. Not so you can walk around and say, hey, I'm tough, I'm it. No, so the devil will never forget that he lost and he lost you. He says that through us, he brings knowledge of Christ. Everywhere we go, and I like this, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. You know why? Winning smells different. And Jesus wants to put you on parade and wants to pass you in front of people, not so that you can boast within yourself, but so that we can say it's because of him and that people can take in the fragrance of victory. You know what happens when you ride by or, or maybe you go over to somebody's house and they've been cooking something really good? Or maybe somebody's been grilling outside and it's a shame I'm talking about this right now at the end of the service because you are going to want to race out of here to go get something to eat. Okay, but you ever pulled up in somebody's yard and they're grilling outside and you can smell it? Does it make you want to get back in your car and screech the tires on your way out because you want to get a far, as far away from that as you possibly? No, you roll up in there and say, where is the knife and fork and my plate? Why? I want some of that. And that's what Jesus wants to do with us as, as we are victorious in this life. He wants, us, he wants to parade us in front of the enemy and then he wants to pass us by unbelievers so they can smell what victory smells like and want some of that. And when they, they tap you on the shoulder and they say, what is it about you? I know your life has been hell lately, but you've, you've kept your composure. You, you have it maybe not all together. You're not perfect, but you have a peace about you. What is it? And you can tell them, well, what you're smelling is Jesus. And he wants to pass that same thing on to you. Let me tell you how. And you're able to minister to them and win them to him. Folks, that's what happens when we begin to wean our minds from this inappropriate, wrong thinking, and we begin to change our souls and begin to live like the people that God wants us to live. Are you listening to me? Now, I want to encourage you, don't miss next Sunday's message because we're going to take it a step further in the practicality of this so you can begin to apply it. But I promise you, if you start dealing with some of that that I just gave you, man, your life will take leaps and bounds ahead. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.